Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Prichel, and today's podcast is, man, oh man, oh man, it is exciting because finally I found something that helped me regain my sense of smell and taste and my overall mental acuity following exposure to the virus. And I know this is a very controversial topic. This is some for the most part, exploratory research that we're going to be discussing today. There is some good research, but again, you know, since this is also new to us, it's difficult to make uh, very concrete conclusions. So just a reminder to stay skeptical no matter what and to do some testing yourself to see what works and what sticks. So anyway, diving into today's guest, it's Dr. Joe DiDuro. He's the president at Pro Neurolight LLC. He's the CEO at Concentro Laboratories, LLC. He has a Master of Science in Clinical Research from the Palmer College of Chiropractic. He's he's a diplomat of the American Board of Chiropractic Neurologists, specializing in neurology. And of course, he is a biohacker. Today, we're going to talk all about this little device that he sent me about a month and a half ago. And it's a device that goes up your nose, these probes that you may have seen on my Instagram, they turn your nose all red. You look like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when you wear it. And it kind of looks like the plug-in Apple earphones in that there's this like white cord running from the nose plugs into a device which you can set up to shoot different frequencies of red and infrared light up your nose to activate the olfactory bulb and get more blood flowing to your brain. Now, I know this sounds crazy, biohacker stuff, okay, weird, I know, but hear us out, listen to the podcast, and give it a try. If you've been suffering with long-haul symptoms of COVID, like I did for three months, if you know someone who's been suffering with said symptoms, and we'll go into the symptoms on the show more in depth, this could work for you. I mean, I tried pretty much everything, as you'll hear on the show, and this really brought me back to baseline. And I use it now for all things related to health optimization, cognitive performance. I use it to meditate. I use it before podcasts. I use it for sleep. And I will mention that I am, full disclosure, I am an affiliate with this company. I became an affiliate after having seen these awesome benefits. And I do believe in this product as I do with anything that I recommend. I use it myself. I trust it. And so do some of my beloved friends and family members. But just remember, what works for me may not work for you. Remember that we're all unique. Remember that it counts to listen to the entirety of this podcast, as there are several disclaimers and instructions on how to use the device properly, etc., etc. And it counts to do your own research on top of that, no matter what. Anyway, all relevant links are included in the show notes. As always, you can go to my website or wherever you're tuning in from to get those show notes and those relevant links. From there, you can make a purchase with a discount added. And I believe there's a very generous discount on this device. It it is a little pricey. So you do get a very generous discount. So that's all for now. Hope you guys enjoy the show and I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. So with regards to the recovering from the virus, I had brain fog for a few months following the onset of of the infection. And my HRV was really low, especially for those two weeks that I was dealing with more severe symptoms. And then it sort of, it started to improve a little bit, but I definitely did feel severe brain fog, like severe brain fog for the next month and a half, two months. And I tried a few different therapies. I tried everything from, you know, all kinds of supplements and sleeping more and meditating a lot and getting lots of sunlight and getting some light movement and, you know, mastering my nutrition. I was like on a low carb diet and almost like ketogenic. And one thing that worked really well for me in the beginning, or actually no, more towards the end after the, you know, month, month and a half's worth of failed attempts. I started to get a little more serious about the fasting and then I implemented lion's mane 
And I think that the combination of fasting and lion's mane, I was able to upregulate some of that brain-derived neurotrophic factor and support my cognition and cognitive health. It seemed like about a week's worth of that really helped to get things back up to speed. Then I played around with a little bit of like the transcriptions, blue canatine, you know, a little microdose of caffeine and a little tiny microdose of nicotine, which, you know, pharmaceutical grade, it can be a great little nootropic without the negative effects. I did a bunch of that stuff, you know, like nootropic, other kinds of like, I did like magnesium L3 innate, for example. So like the magteen stuff. So yeah, I tried a bunch of things, but it wasn't until I tried the pro Neurolite, your device, that I started to see some serious improvements. And I'm always very, very skeptical with these kinds of things, new therapies, new biohacks. I'm always very skeptical. And I'd say that, you know, as any good scientist, it counts to do your own research, to stick to the results the you know, what we gathered through our research trials and such. And, but I'll tell you what, that I saw some really massive and important improvements in my mental acuity, in my memory, and my spatial awareness when I start to use your device. Spatial awareness. Yeah. I kind of felt like when I was sick, I had this sort of like tunnel vision and I was like clumsy. I felt very clumsy. Clumsy. You didn't, you said your main symptom, if I recall, was just what? Did you have a little, did it hurt to move your eyes? Did you have bloodshot eyes? Did you have a cough? Yeah. So one thing I noticed was I did have some pressure behind the eyes. My eyes weren't bloodshot, but they were, they looked kind of like watery. You know, when someone smokes weed, their eyes kind of get like watery and bloodshot. It was more like a, like a watery effect. I kind of looked like I had just woken up like throughout the entire like day. I go with Bill Clinton. I didn't inhale. So <laughs> Yeah. So you gotta put that out there. Yes, that's kind of how I felt. And it was just frustrating. Can I make a note that I found that one of the first signs that someone got the COVID was redness of the eyes, bloodshot eyes. And I could really pick it out. And that's something that we can, you know, kind of delve into as to why do you have the pain in the eyes? Why does it hurt? Why do you have the headache and things like that? I mean, just a little bit of redness in the eyes, and maybe it hurts when you squint or when you look around. That's what my daughter got when she got. Yeah, yeah. So go, and go ahead. I absolutely did feel that sort of pressure. I had headaches. I mean, I had all of the classic COVID symptoms, except I didn't really have much of a cough, didn't really have severe flu-like symptoms. It was more than anything. It was like cognitive impairment. It was pressure in my head and behind my eyes. And then, I mean, the most noticeable effect beyond the cognitive impairment was definitely, well, I guess this is related to cognitive impairment as we're going to hopefully discuss on this podcast. It was the loss of sense of smell and taste. And that lasted for several weeks. And then after a couple of weeks, it started to come back and it came back for like a few days. And then all of a sudden, everything started smelling like burnt plastic or like fresh paint. It smelled terrible. Everything smelled the same. Anything that had a, a pretty strong smell smelled the same to me. It was more like the intensity of the smell. It wasn't the unique flavor profile of the scent itself. And this was, you know, I mean, on so many levels, frustrating because they couldn't distinguish between the different things that I was eating. It was just, man, it was a mess. And, you know, my career is very cognitively demanding. And I was noticing that I would have conversations with some of my colleagues and peers and mentors. And I just felt like I was like, my vocabulary was cut short, almost like I'd lost like 15 IQ points or something like that. Not 15, but like 10, you know, and I could sort of like, every time I had a conversation, I was sort of like judging myself behind the scenes. Like, man, like that's not me. I really felt like I lost part of my brain. It was extremely frustrating. It was extremely, extremely, I've never been that frustrated with my health. I'll put it that way. Think about this. 86% 86% of people suffer a neurologic symptom after the COVID infection. So nine out of 10, basically. And loss of smell and you know the taste is extremely common. And just because you lose it doesn't mean it comes back because it does come back like smelling sewage or seaweed or something. The burnt plastic is very common. And that's another whole front of your head type of scenario. And that's why I think that your change as rapid as it was, is pretty common when we're using the correct tools in the correct way. Yeah. 
And I'll just say that, you know, I was willing to try anything at that point. I even started to implement some microdosing of psilocybin combined with the lion's mane. And honestly, I saw very favorable effects with, again, you know, it could be associated with neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, et cetera. And then my, I have a lot of people that I know personally who had very similar symptoms and I kind of, you know, I'm the kind of person, I'm a human guinea pig and I do a lot of self-experimentation and I was very happy to make that introduction with you through Sarah Turner after doing that photobiomodulation podcast with her. She's such an incredible soul. She's such a special soul. We had a really good time on that podcast and made that close connection and she was very inspired to get us in touch after she heard about my experience with COVID. And when I did the podcast with her, I was, things were starting to get better, but honestly, the finish line to me, or at least returning to baseline, it still seemed pretty distant. Things were better at that point. And actually I took a break from podcasting because of the severe cognitive impairment that I, that I felt. So yeah, we made that introduction. He told me all about transcranial photobiomodulation. And we had a little conversation about the olfactory bulb and how it's sort of like this lymphatic drainage site for the brain. I'll let you take it away. If you could help my audience understand the process of inflammation in the brain, the flow cerebral spinal fluid, the crucial role that it plays to clear out some of the excess after an inflammatory response, and how this can influence our ability to smell and taste and how it's related to cognitive impairment. The thing that we're focusing on, a paper that we're going to publish, and I have my next meeting right after this is with the co-authors, and we worked with the groups from Russia and uh, you know, to bring some of this new research to light. Now, in 2017, we had a patient, we can call him a client, patient zero, that came in and I said, well, let's see if this transcranial photobiomodulation stuff works. You know, well, you know, I came from a neurodegenerative rehabilitation of nerves for the hands and feet. And I just said, let's flip it around and put it on the head. Once we got enough evidence and said, yeah, we're doing a functional medicine thing here for these you know, people with nerve damage, what do you think we could do it for the head? And she had the rapid recovery of cognitive decline. She went from demented to normal in 28 days using just a little bit of light, really. She didn't have complete recovery. I looked at the data the other day, but she had, you know, it came back a bit. And that was the first time in the literature that smell had improved or restored or came down the pike in a neurodegenerative disease. So then in 2019, I think we wrote the paper Therapeutic Potential of Intranasal Photobiomodulation. It was a review paper. And so we had a pretty good handle on what was going on. And when the pandemic started and everybody started to say loss of smell, loss of smell, I said, well, you know, Dr. Joe's got a pretty good handle on that. I think I could raise my hand and say, well, you know, if you put light up the nose and you get the brain working, you got a chance of recovering this the first time it's ever been shown, really. And would you mind giving a definition of transcranial photobiomodulation? I think that's a pretty intimidating little bit of physio vocab for most people. Well, we had a little discussion, and you know, I'll put it this way. A street light is not photobiomodulation. You know what I'm saying? So photo is light. Bio is a cell. Modulation is change. So light energy coming into a cell in the body and changing it. That's the modulation part. The transcranial part is when we put it on the head. And then we are assuming and guessing and estimating how much light actually goes through that skull. When we use the different stuff that the proneurolite suite of devices, we can get through the ear. You know, we have a pancranial helmet that goes everywhere. And then we have dual probe intranasal that goes up the nose. And then we have a body pad that can go on your skin and your chest or your neck and anywhere it hurts type of thing. So that was the multimodal protocol that we put together way back in the old days because as it was four years ago, I'm going on five actually. Would that be five? 2017 is going to be 2022. She came in like January and February. She said, I got my life back. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. So you got her life back and I'm getting my brain back, which is just... I mean, yeah, it's rapid too. I mean, that's the thing I, I like to say. You know, who, who wants to go to... You, you want to go to Jiffy Lube, right? You want to go... You don't want to go to six-month lube. You know, you want to go to where your stuff gets done quickly. And that's basically when you know you're on the right track. I was surprised to experience so many benefits in just a matter of, you know, the first 48 hours using your device. And I used it in the morning and at night. I, and I like to talk about the different settings on it too, because I noticed that there's different frequencies you can set it to that can elicit different brainwave states. But we'll leave that for uh, maybe a few minutes from now. 
but I was setting it to like a P1 setting. So I think it's alpha wave, you know, more calming effect at night before bed than setting it anywhere from a P6 to a P10. So, you know, greater brain activity for performance and productivity and focus. So that's a different perspective. So let's look at it this way. You can, when you put the light on a tissue, okay, so there's the direct response, that's the tissue that's right underneath there. Then there's the indirect response, and that's like everything else that can happen. One of the biggest indirect responses that we get is when we touch the blood, and the blood is under the surface of the skin and all that stuff, and the skin, you know, the nerves in the skin. So all that little section that you're contacting still is alive. But the big bonus when you put it in the nose is then every five minutes, five liters of blood passes under your nose. So in 15 minutes, you did all the blood in your body three times. Wait, did you say every five minutes, five liters of blood passes through your nose? That is what they say. Wow. That's what they said. Well, so what so, I noticed was regardless of the setting, I was kind of getting this like discharge, like, you know, stuff was coming out of my nose, like mucus. And I get in the shower and I guess with the humidity of the shower, more stuff would come out of the nose. And I started to really clear out, I guess, sinuses and the nasal passage. And I mean, I was getting deeper sleep and I even monitored it through my bio strap. I was getting really good sleep, waking up in the morning, feeling really refreshed and clear clear, calm, and collected. Those are the three words, clear, calm, and collected. And I hadn't felt that way in two months. And this is happening. This is in two days, you know, take it for over the course of two weeks. And I felt completely back to normal, optimal. And you can go, so let's touch on that a couple different things. So when you put the frequency in there, that's kind of, I want to call that photobio oscillation. Because you're not really modulating anything, but you're letting it oscillate with the wave that you send in. And all those are very good. But in the beginning stages, let me say that you did it. It worked exactly like it's supposed to work for you, which is great. Because I remember that I called me up the next day and said, uh, am I better? And I said, no, I don't believe you. You know, but my, my, if what, you my can't what? get better. You said, I'm, my brain is back. The Pygmalion. I go with placebo. But the point is that you measured it. We had the data. We saw what's happening. But Let's just circle back to the what you experienced and maybe why. So in the latest paper that we're going to present at the end of this month, what we did was we kind of backed up the theory of why did we use a multimodal approach, the brain, the blood, and the body? Why did we use the head, the nose, and the chest? Well, we had a theory that if you had toxins in your brain, like a beta plaques and proteins and inflammatory chemicals and excitokine storm. It doesn't really matter what, you know, like a chemo brain, you have debris from all the dead tissues and just stuff starts to accumulate in there. The researchers from Russia came out with a lot of good evidence that shows that these meningeal lymphatic vessels is what they're called. And we had always talked about the sutures and, you know, the light can get in there. Anyway, they're right there in the top of right below the skull. And what they found is when they put light energy on the head, that the lymphatic system of your brain flowed much quicker. And they were able to eliminate golden nanorods and a beta tau plaques and then hemorrhaged blood. They did all these different experiments. And that was just putting it on the, the head. And also when they put the laser or the light on the body, that accelerated the pull. And then they examined if you put it in the nose, that that really was the main drainage system for this whole head scenario. So I always ask people, are you getting any mucus? Are you getting any drainage? Are you getting anything like that? And they're you know, it's like, that's something that's not really talked about. So they're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. But I'm like, hey, I want to know. Because that is what breaks the dam. So let's just circle back. So if you had the infection and what happens is maybe there's a buildup of these toxins, if you will, whatever you want to call it. The blood-brain barrier kind of gets leaky. You're going to have too much fluid. And maybe you're not really pushing these things out. So it's called normal tensive hydrocephalus, or would it just say increased pressure in the back of your eyes or in your head? So the eyes hurt, they get these headaches. 
it's like the migraine people, you know, they bend over and they sit up and their head feels like it's going to explode. They can have the sensitivity, but that could be from increased pressure. And one of the places that that pressure comes is in the cribriform plate in your nose. So if you have increased pressure there, it's pressure on the nerve, that old chiropractic story. And those olfactory nerves, they start to run out of gas. So it is a pressure. It's one perspective is it is a pressure-based deficit, too much pressure. So when we make that, put the light up there, it creates a huge vasodilation, right? Release of nitric oxide. That's just the starting, the runway of the changes that can happen with photobiomodulation. So from what I understand with nitric oxide, it's a vasodilator, but wouldn't that increase the pressure? Both ways, because it increases the flow in, right? So that you're going to get, let's think of it this way. The lymphatic system works by like diffusion. Let's think of it just like osmosis, right? So if you have solute, let's think of it as the, you know, I don't want to know how to say it, but like uh, solute in there, stuff right? And you can't get enough fluid in there, can't really move it out. You need to have a flow. So that when we use the multimodal approach, we're thinking, let's increase as much blood as we can to the brain, right? Then I'm going to explain to you why your sleep got better and then flush it out one more time. So we're getting a vasodilation of the arteries, the veins, and the extracranial and cranial lymphatic vessels, which will give us a pull. So let me see if I got this right and if we can make it, put it in layman's terms for the people tuning in. So following this kind of infection, let's say you experience this kind of infection and naturally the immune response, there's a certain amount of inflammation in the brain and now you have all this inflammatory excess and it creates pressure, it creates pain behind the eyes, in the head, et cetera. And what you need to clear out that pressure is sufficient blood flow to help clear out that pressure. We're going to get to the mechanisms, how that actually intercepts and how it actually works, but by using photobiomodulation, particularly red and infrared light shining up in the olfactory bulb, we can stimulate the proper flow of this blood by upregulating nitric oxide. And this will help clear that pressure and get things flowing optimally. I think that that's like a third of it. But the point is that if you do have any clogging of your lymphatic vessels in your body, let's because your whole body has got to detox these things. You've got inflammation everywhere, lungs, chest, liver, everything. So your whole system can get backed up and, you know, that's the pipe. So think of it as being able to vasodilate the arteries and the lymph that creates two-way flow. So it's the arteries and the lymphatic drainage sites that are dilating. Correct. And that's what allows you to pop the cork, if you will. And it's like the champagne. Think of it that way. So that's why I was able to see those benefits in just two days as I sort of pop that bottle and then, okay. I understand. That's how I see it. And so the point is that you work it, it's like a sponge. If you got a dry sponge, it's not really going to do much. But if you can fill it up nice and wet and then give it a squeeze, that's how you're going to clean this stuff out. And so that's sort of to describe the effect that improving blood flow has and clearing out the brain, so to speak, in that if you have all this pressure, how are you going to move things around and get that squeeze? Whereas if you get things flowing properly, you get everything going in through the sponge, filling up the sponge, and then you can give it a good squeeze. And we'll get to how that happens with the deep sleep, which is what I assume we're going to discuss up next. That part and vasodilation of those extracranial and cranial lymph vessels. So they'll start you know, opening up as soon as you put the light on them, right? But then there's the other mechanisms that have to come into play. And it has to go someplace like we talked about. So I think that's a very good... And what I'm saying is, not only do we have you know, clinical evidence that this is really what happens. But we have the scientific, you know, we did all the rats, you know, we need, we did all this stuff. And, you know, so it's good science and it's a different type of perspective because of how you use the light. So I'll be sure to uh, just do the science justice and to show people how serious this is. I, I will be linking to all the studies in the show notes and all those the incredible research that you've done with your team as well. And I want to highlight, well, I don't know that maybe I'd better to ask you, would you consider this like cutting edge or is a lot of this photobiomodulation stuff, is it already well established, but perhaps not in this particular setting? Well, we say a lot of times there's just not enough soldiers to fight this war. So if you think about 
Well, everybody's got the infection and everybody's getting symptoms, but not too many people are talking about photobiomodulation, right? Or any of this stuff. And we did a whole conference on how to combat, you know, illuminating immunity, light versus the pandemic. And, you know, we've been talking about that for two years. So there's a, tons of research out there. I mean, prevent, detection, prevention, and recovery of COVID on the lungs, basically, now on the brain and now on the nose. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of researchers doing this. There's not so many of these marketers or entrepreneurs that are going to get the word out. You know, I tend to think of myself as a type of a renaissance man. I can do the research. I can do the clinical. And and I, you know, kind of have one wing as far as a marketer because I want people to understand this. But think about how many people are damaged, you know. Right now, we started this. I was scared because, like, you know, one in three people were going to be getting dementia in the next 30 years. You know, so that means if you sit around and you're sitting in a room, you look to your right, you look to your left, one person's going to get it, one person's going to pay for it, the other one's going to be a caregiver. So that's not really cool. But if you got, if you tested positive for SARS, you have it 18 times chance of getting neurodegenerative disease like dementia 18 times so i mean i was already nervous and freaked out that there's going to be a huge demand for this stuff if they understand that it really can be beneficial so yes i think that it's not only is it cutting edge but the concepts and the theories and such that we're you know putting forward are global and they're bringing more information from around the world because we're bringing research from russia and Slovakia and, you know, these places where they maybe not, their English maybe isn't that good. So you really can't even understand maybe the whole read the paper and then the, their terminology on how they describe photobiomodulation, everything like that. Their, their data points aren't really clear. So it's even going to go over the heads of a lot of uh, scientists. So the short answer is yes. There's actually a paper that I'm looking at here. It's published in Nature. It's called Attributes and Predictors of Long COVID, and they sort of define, you know, long-haul COVID symptoms of, you know, symptoms that last a couple of weeks, I believe here. It's anything beyond 28 days, and that's in about 13.3% of people in this study. For 4.5% of people, it lasts longer than eight weeks, and 2.3% is longer than 12 weeks. From what I've seen personally with friends, family, and people that I know, it's it's a lot more common than that. I don't know. Uh, that's a low, that's a very low number. Yeah, there's actually an, another study that I was looking at where it was looking more like 85 or 90%. That's another big study. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Something that I wanted to share is that in my inner circle, I've seen a lot of these long haul symptoms at their extreme. For example, my mom, she is a dentist, but her passion is cooking and she's an incredible cook. And she got COVID, I want to say... I don't know, six or seven months ago. And she still doesn't have her sense of smell or taste. So imagine she can't cook. <laughs> I mean, she can, but it's not the same. Everything tastes the same to her. And it has for the past six or seven months. And she's tried oh. all kinds of stuff. I've helped her with all kinds of stuff, implementing all kinds of stuff. And my mom, again, as any good scientist is super skeptical. And mom's not afraid to tell me, Andres, what the hell kind of crazy biohack are you doing now? It's all placebo. What are you doing? I handed her your device and I was pretty hesitant to give it up, even though it's my mom, because I literally use it now for every meditation session for, you know, before I go to bed, I, I really love it. And I've had her use it now for the past two, almost three days. Today, it'll be her third day. And she's seen some serious benefits. Uh, I was waiting yeah. for that. I so was waiting I wanted for that. Like right? I, yeah. Yes. I yeah. wanted to give you that surprise here on the show. She was very, I almost expected like a nocebo effect for my mom. Because <laughs> she's such a non-believer in anything that is. You cannot be the prophet in your own home, but look at you. Yeah. So there you go. So she's been seeing some amazing, amazing benefits. I think it'll take her a few more days to really have like that, almost like, wow, like more people need it. My friends need to get their hands on this, but we're getting there. You know, she's seen some tremendous benefits and my girlfriend too. And I want to mention my girlfriend because, you know, I'm sure some people are thinking like, hey, what if you would just suddenly start recovering from COVID as soon as you got the device in your hands? Well, my girlfriend and I got COVID at the exact same time. She's been using the device. We started using it at the same time and we experienced similar improvements in the same time frame. So, you know, and she's also, I mean, as much as she loves doing all the crazy biohacking stuff with me, when she saw me with this thing in my nose, she's like, undress. What the heck 
are you doing? You look like Rudolph. I get a lot of that. I got to break it out for the Christmas parties. You know, we want to talk about some of the things that we, you know, moving into this. I think that's very encouraging. I'm very excited that everybody's getting better because that's really what you expect. You know, it's like putting your hand in a microwave. You know, if you put your hand in a microwave, you turn it on and you say, I really do it a couple of times. I don't feel anything. But it's really not the microwave's fault. The microwave sends radiation into you and, you know, it's supposed to do what it does. So we're putting light photons into you. It's really supposed to check off the boxes. Why won't it work? It's not the device, right? So people who are, you know, somewhat close to optimal, but they just need to break free of these things. And I think this is great. You know, you did a great service to these people. Yeah. And I hope that we can get in the hands of more people. What do you find is the typical time frame for the bulk of individuals that you help? Is it, you know, to see improvements, is that typical seeing improvements in 48 hours? Is it always sort of like in the first few days, the most significant effects and then it sort of tapers off or, you know, does it depend on the individual? It's all about the black box, Andres. It's, it's all about what's, what's inside because you turn on the machine, it gives the same amount of juice every time. So if we were all the same, you know, it would be like those, what do you call that thing when the when the when you hit the ball and it rolls down the thing and it rolls around? Like the, there's a name for that machine. I know what you're talking about. It's like in those like science. It's like a Rothman thing. It's like a thing, but it should all be the same. But we're not the same because it's all, once the light goes in, it's a pinball. So I've had older people that had not really done like three months and fat people. So, you know, you've got metabolic issues. You've got things like that. And it's like, who knows? So that's why with us, when, you know, you're about coaching and I'm about coaching and it's personalized, it's individualized, it's even genetically, you know, dependent for you. So everybody's going to be different. The bottom line, I think, is that think about it. It's the chance to improve and the chance to improve usually is rapid. This is what I put that in my paper because, hey, man, if you got to do something for six months, you know, it's, it's not, you know, maybe it's nearly not doing what it's supposed to do. It should have an effect. Should have an effect. I guess that's because I'm a chiropractor and, you know, the first adjustment cured hearing, deafness, right? And people stand up afterwards and they're better. So I think anything that takes like months is really not, you know, assisting the body. I want to make a point about something that may be helpful for people to understand. Photobiomodulation, from my perspective, is not stimulatory. I want to say this. It doesn't stimulate you to, you know, like to be more, to be this or to be, you know what I mean? It's not like a, a machine that, you know, shocks your muscles to make them bigger, right? It's an accelerator. So if you have that much pedal, if you have that much horsepower and you step on the gas, it's going to accelerate. Because that's it's already there. It's just sort of not going fast as it could. It's not stimulatory, so you don't get tired. You know, it doesn't like really burn anything out. Very different from transcranial magnetic stimulation or ultrasound or electrical or whatever. Those are stimulatory mechanisms. That's why if your mitochondrial you know stress level is such or you know you can go faster than the next guy. Those things will build. I mean, you will build the tolerance. You will build bigger mitochondria, stronger mitochondria. You'll be able to vasodilate more the more you do it. You'll be able to perfuse tissues better. But I think that's a very interesting concept when you think about individualizing this. So you can only go as fast as your system can go. So what would be the word in this case if it's not stimulatory? Acceleratory. Acceleratory. Okay. So you're supporting the body and doing its own thing and clearing out this excess. Well, what are you saying? Because we're not talking. You have to remember that the scientific basis of what's happening is an increase in ATP production. That's just acceleration of energy. So you're getting more energy. It's That's kind of the, so when I try to describe the effect that this has on people, the transcranial photobiomodulation, I describe a few different mechanisms. So it's Yes, you are stimulating more blood flow to the brain through an increase in nitric oxide. But then there's also, you know, mitochondrial biogenesis. The red and infrared light helps stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. Now you have more ATP production, more mitochondria that are helping to 
drive energy to repair those those nerves. And then, of course, with all of that, you help to promote that lymphatic drainage and take some of that pressure off the nerves. But one thing that I want to dive into with you is the influence that deep sleep has and how critical it is to achieve sleep in order to squeeze that sponge and get that excess out. So this is a great deep dive. I just want to say that I don't know if I showed you that I'm writing another book. I have really? like two more coming out. Yep. And it's called My Brain Matters, The Neurometabolic Solution. And where we go into each step of these things that we're describing here, and it's really where we put together this, in the paper, we're going to talk about the lymphatic system, but getting people to understand the timing of light therapy, okay? So you use it like circadian medicine, you understand? So it's about the panels and about all that stuff. But the point is when you put the light on at the right time, we already talked about putting it on before you go to bed, it's going to increase the circulation to the brain. And then about, you know, 50 minutes after you fall asleep, you go into your first deep, if everything's going all right, you go into your first slow wave sleep or deep sleep. Now, when that happens, you're pretty much like in a coma in a sense, you know, and you, it's hard to wake you up, but it's very positive for the brain because you're not activating any neurons, really, very, very little. So you're not creating any more byproducts or waste. So it's a great time for the brain to do its housekeeping. So first things I ever heard about the glymphatic system, and one of the best things is Let's say you and I are garbage men. We're driving garbage trucks in Manhattan, right? And we got a whole bunch of garbage trucks in Manhattan. And at four o'clock in the morning, when the city goes to sleep, all the buildings shrink so that the streets become much bigger. That allows us to whip around like, you know, Formula One racers and grab all that garbage quick, 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 fast. Well, there is a 60% reduction in your brain tissue, if you will when you enter these deep sleep phases. And that's because of cells are shrinking and then the astrocytes are releasing this water. So you got some more fluid in there, right? And astrocytes are cells like glial cells and they get affected by light also. So, hey, that's a plus, right? Water of the intracerebral spinal fluid, that's influenced by light. So that's a plus, right? So basically what's happening is you've got a lot more fluid in there in that period. And then as you come out of your deep sleep, everything comes back and that's the sponge, right? Everything pushes back in and that space is being reduced. So there's a little push inside there. And if everything's open and everything's flowing, we just took the garbage out and it's going to wash it and cycle it a couple of times. So rinse, wash, repeat. Yeah. And, and wash, one- rinse, repeat. What is that? Wash, rinse, repeat. What? Right? Wash, <laughs> rinse, repeat. Yeah, I'm a bit of a minimalist. I don't do a lot of washing, so I'm not really so familiar with the process. <laughs> but that's how home, it works. Yeah. That's how it works. So if the person can't sleep, that's why one night's sleep increases your risk for Alzheimer's, blah, 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 blah. We all know that. Mood and attitude and everything and energy and everything like that. So, yeah, you already were primed. And then, you know, the people that you coach were already primed for this. You know, we get people to go to sleep and fall asleep. As a matter of fact, in our data, we saw a 60% increase in deep sleep, a 23% reduction in light sleep, and about a 25% reduction in restlessness. So people are taking their bad sleep and they're creating more deep sleep. And that means we're healing the brain. That means we're doing a good job. That's more of an opportunity to help clear this excess and really provide that restoration for the brain over that coma-like state of deep sleep. Correct. Right. So one thing I want to highlight, and actually dive a little deeper into this, is the effect of nasal breathing. And mm. I actually just had Patrick McEwan on the show, the author of The Oxygen Advantage. You know, He's all about breathwork, for those who don't know. And he actually just released a book recently called Atomic Focus, which I haven't had the chance to read. But we oh, he did that one too? Yeah. I follow him. I read Brian McKenzie wrote this article. I mean, I've been following him for a while. I was never really into the breathing and everything like that. He's just a workout about I sleep with a mouthpiece and stuff like that. But he said, work out with your mouth closed. Yeah, it's difficult, but and it he's builds. a pretty buff. So he's a pretty buff guy. So yeah. I said, well, I'll try it. And 
it really changed everything. And yeah. watching people mouth breathe, I, I wasn't never a real big mouth breather, but watching athletes mouth breathe and everybody mouth breathe. And it's because like, it's, it's mean, the quickest way to breathe, but it automatically puts you in a more sympathetic state because we do breathe through our mouths in states of emergency. It's the quickest way to breathe, but it's not the most efficient way to breathe. And for people that want to take a deep dive on this, I, I suggest tuning into episode number 30 of this podcast with Patrick McEwan. But to really make it simple, one thing he discusses with nasal breathing is that it's advantageous in that you better humidify the air, you better filter the air through your nasal passage. But automatically, when you nasal breathe, you have greater parasympathetic activity. You stimulate the vagus nerve. You're forced to breathe a little more diaphragmatically instead of using the upper chest. And you have more greater production of nitric oxide, that vasodilator. So I wanted to highlight this, particularly with respect to deep sleep, because I think that it's essential that people nasal breathe in order to get the deep sleep that they need and to really maximize that deep sleep. Because if you're mouth breathing before bed, if you're a chronic mouth breather, and I actually have a client who has obstructive sleep apnea, and we realize that's the reason why he can't you know, recover from his intense activity that he does. Now we're actually getting Dr. Jay Corsani from the sleep podcast to help us with the laser procedure that changed the morphology of his mouth. But anyway, there's people that are chronic mouth breathers are automatically in a more of a sympathetic state and they can't achieve the same deep sleep. And something else I wanted to point out was Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist, the Stanford neuroscientist recently reposted something on his Instagram that I really enjoyed. And it was a video of a brain and how nasal breathing was sort of promoting this like squeezing this contraction and expansion of the different tissues in the brain. And so what we found is that, and this was just anecdotal back 10 years ago, that if you put the light pad like on your throat, think about this. It has, it's exercise without exercise. And so what it did was it stopped people from snoring. So think about it. It raised their palate up. And here you're putting the light right into the nose, right? So it strengthened those muscles so they snored less. So it's a great way to increase the tone of these muscles. And that's what I found because I used to do my O2 ring and everything like that. And I was like, well, I'm already not too great, you know, and work a little bit harder at it. And now I'm never, I'm doing so much better. But it also ties into, as you're saying, sympathetic state and the parasympathetic state. And that really is important because your ability to get into a parasympathetic state and sympathetic, that difference or that bandwidth is actually what you're doing in your sleep too. So if you can't go high parasympathetic and you can't go high sympathetic, you're not going to have that flush. Right. So because you need, there's naturally, there's this sort of uh fluctuation that brings you from deep sleep to REM and you need both right. to sleep to really sleep and drive all the major benefits of sleep because you know with REM you see things like memory consolidation and uh, learning a lot of the learning process occurs in REM whereas deep sleep is like a coma state where it's really just restoring things like your muscle and promoting this surge of blood flow through your brain so it's interesting how they both need to play their unique role and this natural fluctuation must occur i wanted to highlight the nasal breathing because i think a lot of people tend to be in this sort of chronic stress state and maybe they get their REM, but they don't get the deep restorative sleep, particularly when it comes to recovering from a virus like this one. So huge. Yes, I'm with you. But think that when we, you know, when everything works together, the systems are all go. And that's what we said on an individual basis when you're coaching them. What is the part that, where's your linchpin? You know, and then you pull it, where's the next linchpin? And you pull it. And you do it in a systematic way. We found that we had a, with our people, because the thing that people really miss, Andres, is that light onto the body is a parasympathetic, it creates a parasympathetic effect. That's what people don't realize. You're vasodilating, you have this warmth if you want, it creates a parasympathetic state. Light so to it's the body. Real, well there's a put in the discrepancy is you know when we receive sunlight in the morning when it interacts with the retina that blue light help <laughs> you're putting your helmet on <laughs> i want one of those <laughs> I, I want it too everybody wants to be tony Stark, oh, but that's, right? i want to buy it because it's cool like 1200 bucks i want one yeah no that thing is really cool but i wanted to interrupt you because i wanted to be clear about the kind of light that people are receiving because not all light is the same and you have red light red and infrared which is 
almost like the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you know, versus like blue light. Because when blue light interacts with the retina, such as like sunlight coming up and waking us up, that helps produce cortisol, diminish the production of melatonin. It actually sets us up for a, a nice, healthy circadian rhythm for the remainder of the day and helps us establish this natural sleep wake cycle. Whereas the red light and, well, you know, light interacting with our body, not the eyes, but the body as a whole does put us in a more parasympathetic state. I think that what you're right on the wavelengths are important and everything like that. But I think that if you break it down, you back it up, you know, the human body is a light emitting machine. So in this time of the pandemic, I'm not afraid to say that we didn't get any hugs, right? We didn't so, get any what, sorry? Uh, hugs. Yeah. <laughs> we were isolated. So we're starving for this infrared connection, this light. So that's one of the reasons why when you put this pad against you or you put the body pad against you, it's calming. Very it feels calming. Yep. And you don't realize that if someone's in a sympathetic state, you know, try, hey, your mind and hey, maybe you should do this and maybe you should, they're racing so much. It's, just, it's a waste. But if you put the pad on, kind of knocks them out so they can go to sleep. And you're driving their parasympathetic so they can get into a little bit deeper sleep. So it's a kind of a bank shot. I paint with a broad brush. You know, we can get it down to the nitty gritty and get to the weeds and, you know, microscopic. But the point is, you got to paint with a broad brush because people need change now. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of this is like because we raised the HRV 106% and reduced resting heart rate. No, what do we do? We reduced the resting heart rate. And we increase the readiness score on the people that we take care of as a group. And that is basically with really just the light. I just want to point that out because it all we're all running to the same finish line. Basically. Right. And I'll tell you that I did have the chance to measure my data throughout this process. And just so that the people tuning in, uh, I mean, I'm willing to share you know, screenshots of all the BioStrap data, the most clinically backed wearable device. But I had you know a pretty nice and solid HRV sitting at about 110, you know, for the average for, for a few months, 110, 120 or so. Got COVID, went down to like the 80s. First time ever that I was like just trending at the 80s, maybe 80s, 90s or so. And then I started using this device. And now over the course of one or two weeks, I'm back up at 110. And then my resting heart rate also went back down. I had my, my resting heart rate trending before COVID was about a 36 or 37 average. It went up to 40, 41, 42, which is pretty significant for me. And then now it's back down to 38 or so. My oxygen saturation, I mean, I was dropping down when I had COVID. I dropped down to like, I believe like an 85 or an 88 at one point. Really? Uh, not like overnight. That wasn't the average. But, but, you, but, it was but like, you hit, you did hit yeah, those like I, numbers. I, I, hit, huh? I hit those numbers. I never hit those numbers before. My average overnight was probably like a 97, 98. Now it's back up to 99. What else? My respiratory rate decreased as well. I believe it went down from like 13 breaths per minute down to like 10 or 11 breaths per minute. So I have my data and it's interesting to me. The sensor is also red and infrared light. And I was measuring with infrared and infrared light. Correct. Now you're a scientist and I'm a scientist. And I consider myself enough of a scientist. And I joined the whoop. I got my oh, whoop, no, you know, back no, in the no. day. Yeah. And I went into the chat and like, I was like 166. I mean, my HRV was like, I, like, this isn't, something's not right here. And as I start, it was bad. When I started, I couldn't recover. I couldn't do anything. And I said, hey, I got to get this going here. And I started putting the light on and I was like, hey, light makes HRV go up. And all these, so much bullying. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm not just, you know, talking out my butt. This is really how it works. But, you know, people wouldn't listen back then because it's, it's much easier to pile on. But this would have been great for, you know, look at these people, how they could recover. I don't trust I the Whoop guys to begin with because, I mean, I think now <laughs> they're starting to use some red light, but they started to get very cocky about their device for athletic performance. And it was only using green light, which I understand green light is great for capturing heart rate in the moment, especially during high intensity activity, because it's a more rapid means of capturing that heart rate data. But it's not very good for HRV because red light has penetrates it to 10 times deeper and you can actually see what's happening at the arterial level. I give an analogy and it's that imagine it's late at night and you're with your buddies walking around some neighborhood and you're looking for a house party and you hear that there's some music coming from a house nearby 
and you put your ear up against the front door of this house and you can tell people are having a pretty good time inside, but you knock on the door and nobody opens the door. That's green light. Okay. Red light is like, you know, there's a party going on. You knock on the door, they let you in, you get to experience the party and you stay there all night. And I say that because you're penetrating 10 times deeper. And with red light, you can actually see the trends that are occurring over the entire length of the night, which is like what you do with Biostrap. Whereas with Whoop, they only really get one metric and it's not even an accurate metric. They give you like one data point over the course of the night. Whereas Biostrap captures like I hundreds understand. and thousands I of data points. I understand, point. but I also say that it's uh, my master's degree was in uh, test, retest, reliability. That's part of what I did is for my thesis, right? So I understand about the measurements and everything like that. But the point is, it's got sort of the similar amount of gooiness of each measure. So it's reliable, you know, but it's not way- accurate. It's I precise, understand. It's precise I understand. but it's not accurate. I understand, but it's, it's a measure. But yeah. the point is that that's what everybody said and this and the other thing. But the end game is you will find, because you're talking to a thought leader here, right? Thought leader, right? Wearing their red hat. <laughs> is that as people combine, not just these panels, which are have, you know, aren't, they're not really photobiomodulation. They're just better lights in the house, right? Less garbage light is going to be better positive for you. But once they start really doing some of this, these people, you'll see that the stuff that we were talking about, I was talking about years ago that, hey, this has a real measurable change in our parameters and you you know you and everybody that starts to do it will see exactly what we're talking about thank you for all your diligence my pleasure and i wanted to ask you maybe who you should have mentioned this a little earlier but you know what's the dosage like with this kind of therapy you know how long do you have to use the device how often do you have to use it? is there a limit to it are there any adverse effects that's a very very good question now and recently just completed three different presentations. So them, three different presentations. Let me just hit the top two. Would you mind sharing them with us? And can I link it to the show notes, these presentations? Not, they haven't really been, and we haven't aired them yet. I just created them. So I haven't really done it. We're going to do a couple of lives. One is about my dementia care program. And the reality of it is that the caregivers get better, right? The caregivers sleep better. The caregivers have more stress. And that's just putting it on the client. But we have them put it on themselves, too, so they can be strong. And that's going to be a great presentation with a world-renowned dementia educator. And the next one is about ASD, or autism spectrum disorder. Some wonderful research coming out at Mass General Hospital there at Harvard. And it really allowed me to dive into the data a little bit more. Bottom line is, in every... And so it really does, it helps kids, you know? We designed the small helmet for children, which I think is it's a very little bit, it, you know, it's less power. So you don't have to really worry because this is like 42 times more. That helmet that I was wearing is 42 times more times more powerful than anything on the market. Even though there's not so many on the market, still, it's powerful. We made a mini one for kids because the reality of it is there is no reported adverse effects. So. What am I saying? It can't make you worse. It can't make you sick. It can't make you, you know what I mean? That's good. Yeah. Is there such thing as being too vasodilator and having too many mitochondria? Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> my, well, my book's about more brain power. I don't need that. Well, what kind of person are you? Really? You don't need more brain power? Hmm. But, I love having more brain so, power. So the, that's really the point. And if you think about it, well, what's the dose? Well, we're still really working on that. But I think that we can use... The big deal is this. I think that we can use HRV to drive the dose. And that's the real important one as we watch them fluctuate, as they watch them. The point is, as I say before, HRV is your joy score. HIV is your adaptability score. So if it's going down, you do too much. Mm-hmm. Very simple. And that's really how we monitor and that's how we kind of dose them that way. But as Dr. Henning, who's a psychiatrist in Germany, he said, he puts this, he bought this big one back in the day and he put the on the patients to just sit there and he uses it like a panel and moves it around. Very primitive. And he's having people with all sorts of psychological conditions, right? So you think if they were sensitive, right? Somebody with a slow brain, you know, you could probably just keep turning them up and it's probably not going to have any bad effect. But if someone's got a sensitive brain, 
and you're putting light on it, you know, maybe you should be careful. And he just says, how you feel? Good. Okay, we'll do a little more. How's he feel? Good. Okay, we'll do a little more. This is good enough for a German psychiatrist. You know, it's good enough for me. Right. And is there anything else that you're inspired to share with someone who perhaps is looking for some kind of therapy to recover from COVID or to support their cognitive performance that maybe isn't completely sold on trying something like, you know, shining light in their nose, you know? I'm the wrong guy to talk to. Yeah, there's always an non-believer. So, you know what? So, the the point is there's so many people knocking at the door. There's so many people. You know what I'm saying? If the building's on fire and you knock on the door and you say, the building's on fire and they go, well, who are you? Oh, where, can I see some credentials? Is there any research on the building on fire? I didn't hear any alarms. And so, you got to go to the next room. You can't sit there and do a, you know, five hour, you know, they call me up and they, they may be suffering, you know, traumatic brain injury type of, you know, concussion symptoms. They may have, you know, psychological disorders. They have, may have neurodegenerative problems. And they start to ask me, well, you know, how does it work? And I'm like, listen, you better use your time and ask me, how do you turn it on? And how do I, you know, get better? Because it's not a physics lesson. You know what I mean? You want a TV, you want to turn it on, you want to make it work, that's my job. I'm not going to tell you, how, how do the waves come from Canada? And how do I get CNN from Atlanta on my TV? No, that's not what we're about. Just let's turn it on, let's get it going. And so I'm the wrong guy. If they have skepticism, something, I, I kind of lose the connection real quick. <laughs> and can you tell us a little more about the placebo effect with this kind of device? Because I noticed at one point I was telling you, hey, oh my God, I'm seeing all these awesome benefits. And you're like, you know, you told me straight up, you said, you know, might be placebo. And I was like, what's this guy? This guy gave me this, you know, how is he going to now tell me that it's placebo? The first conference I ever went to about laser, that I heard anything about laser was around 2000, I think, maybe 2000 in Italy. And the lady, the professors were up there talking. I really didn't know why I was there. You don't recall exactly why I went to it, but they were using a laser the size of a pen light like this, right? And waving on people and showing all these changes. And then I saw this research paper that showed they do a double-brined controlled clinical trial of placebo versus placebo, and people still get better. It's the way it works. So the bottom line is the body has an incredible ability to heal itself, and the body needs no help, just no interference. And sometimes that interference is between your ears. So I mean, the mechanisms, if you say to the thing, you know, I want to run a four-minute mile, and I decide to do that, or I think I can do that, you believe it. I think that the harnessing of the placebo is the next frontier. It really, really doesn't matter because the body's doing the healing anyway. Right. The fact that I put the device on means that I understood that there was some capacity to improve, whether it was with your device or in any other fashion. I mean, I believe that I'm in a position where I can improve. And so, and you're talking to a guy that did everything his whole clinical career to eliminate, you know, placebo. I wanted to measure everything that I did. I wanted to see if a person got better, was it because I had a white coat on? You know, is it because I smiled and said the right thing? So I really wanted to just, you know, it's not a great way to run a practice, but I just wanted to do, you know, before and after the intervention. So that the results came from the intervention. And you can't really take out the healing power of another person or the belief system of these people. So, hey, I don't care if it's placebo. If my brain works better and I can show it. If it wasn't for your device, we wouldn't be having this podcast. I'd probably be so frustrated over my mental capacity that I just would probably stop podcasting as a whole. I mean, I was, I was, I was really frustrated, man. And I'm really just so grateful for everything that you do, for your passion, for everything that you've taught me and for the incredible device and company that you've started and how many people you're helping. It really is just from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. And for my mom, my girlfriend, you know, they're just as grateful, equally grateful. So thank you so, so much. And of course, for joining us today on the show. Oh, you betcha. I accept the blessings. You know what I mean? You know, being grateful is great. But being appreciative is another form of, of brain activity that we need to cultivate also. So you have to do something good and then you have to appreciate when you do it. So I accept the blessing wholeheartedly. And it was my pleasure to chat with you as always, Andres. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
for all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos, to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.